Well, good morning, Westridge. I could be wrong here, but I think I know why you're so sad today. This is the last Sunday of our July Facing Down Your Fears month. You can fake it better than that. Come on. I mean. Now, I'm wondering uh, how many of you were here that holiday weekend, 4th of July weekend, and promised that you would make it all for Sunday. Okay. You will remember that I did not say I would make all four Sundays. Because in the fine print, it said, I'll be here all four Sundays unless I get a chance to go to Hawaii. Then it's okay not to be here. Which is what I was called to do. I was called to do it. That's what I had to do. So for the first two in this series that were my assignment, we talked about the fear of insignificance. And we learned that significance comes from a gift I receive, not a search I achieve. And the second Sunday of the series, we talked about the fear of change. And um, we came away knowing really just a couple things. One is, things are going to change. And number two, the best change is the last change. And so here we are in the last message in this series, talking about the fear of rejection. Are we ready for this? Something I face every Sunday here. I come to Westridge, so it's very personal to me, this message is. So go ahead. Hit me with your best shot. Why don't you hit me with your best shot? You know. Fire away. Infect me with the toughest strain of the flu bug. Put me through the physical rigors of a triathlon. Bury me with hard work. Ask me to borrow money. But don't hit me with rejection. The sharpest daggers in any language are the words of rejection. They'll wipe the smile right off your face. They'll stoop your shoulders. They'll buckle your knees. They'll tire you out. They'll send you into depression. They'll snap your mind. They'll break your heart. Children know it when parents leave, when peers are cruel. Men and women know it when divorce hits home. Job seekers know it over and over. And if, it, if you're in sales, you've got rejection as your closest traveling partner. One study shows that the top three fears are very closely related to this topic today. Failure, rejection, and ridicule. And while public speaking may be the number one fear on other lists, I contend it's because of this fear, the fear of rejection. Because when you're in front of people speaking, you're very vulnerable. Will I connect? Does it make sense? And most importantly to me, will it be funny? Will someone heckle me? Okay, I can take it. Really, I mean, I can take it. Sometimes rejection even finds itself in the church. Well-meaning people sometimes reach out to the family of God only to feel the pain of rejection. And this fear of rejection, it shakes us to the core. Whether it's grade school, grad school, or the school of hard knocks, nobody likes to be dropped. And that's because we were made for community. We were made for friendship. We were made for acceptance. We were made for belonging. We want to be liked and valued and belong to a group. 
But it just seems like there are so many factors that work against this human connection that we desperately want. The Bible calls it sin. It not only separates us from God, it separates us from each other. And one very simple evidence of this is that few people have others they can count on and really, really trust as friends. There are three unarticulated questions we ask when we interact with others or when we meet other people. Number one, will you like me? Number two, will you accept me for who I am? And will you receive my gifts? All these questions have to do with acceptance and rejection. The fear of rejection causes us to do things that we wouldn't otherwise do. Compromise our morals, deceive other people, withdraw from community. And the fear of rejection, like all the other fears in our series, have to be confronted, confessed, and conquered. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to list four possible stages of progression as we experience this fear of rejection. And then I'm going to suggest to you some possible sources for that stage. And in so doing, we're going to discover that Jesus experienced life just like we did. We ready for that? Stage one. Self-pity. Possible sources of rejection, family and friends. Your family, they don't accept you. Those friends that you grew up with never fully understood you, never really included you like they should. It turns out that when Jesus returned to his hometown and he began teaching, the residents started questioning his credentials. Ultimately, they took offense at Jesus, prompting him to say, only in his hometown, among his relatives and in his own house, is a prophet without honor. And the Apostle John records for us that even Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him. Some of you know that kind of rejection. Parents who couldn't or wouldn't show you the love you needed. Peers who at formative stages wouldn't include you. Siblings who to this day remain estranged and distant. There's a temptation to wallow in self-pity in this stage, to sense hopelessness, to have second thoughts about our ability and allow stage two to ferment. Stage two, sour grapes. Possible source, being a Chicago Cub fan. No, that's not a source. I mean, that is a source, but that's not the one I'm talking about today. Possible source, vocational frustration and potential unrealized. Your hopes and your dreams, they've been rejected, not even given a chance. It's one thing to have tried and failed. It's another thing to have never been given a chance. When Jesus' heart was breaking for the city of Jerusalem, its inhabitants rejected him. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. The sour grape stage of seeing our hopes and dreams dash can lead us to say, well, it really didn't matter anyway. It wasn't the right job anyway. It probably would have never worked out anyway. And if we leave sour grapes on the table long enough, they turn bitter And they lead us to stage three, 
which is bitterness. Possible source of bitterness, betrayal. You thought you could trust. You had no reason to doubt. In the book, Tame Your Fears, the author describes these tapes that can play in our head when we experience the rejection of betrayal. I'm afraid you'll leave me. If I tell you the truth about my past, you won't accept me. If I'm vulnerable with you, I could become embarrassed and humiliated. Someone has betrayed me in the past and it won't happen again. If I don't change my appearance, you'll think I'm unattractive. The people I trusted the most in the past have let me down. I wonder when you will abandon me. At the Last Supper, Jesus introduced a troubling dinnertime subject. He said, He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you now, before it happens, so that when it does happen, you'll believe that I am he. I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. Max Lucado writes, The word betrayal, it's an eighth of an inch above betroth in the dictionary but a world apart from, from betrothed in real life. It's a weapon found in the hands only of those you love. Your enemy has no such tool, for only a friend can betray. Betrayal is mutiny. It's a violation of trust. It's an inside job. It's a sandpaper kiss on your cheek. It's a promise made with fingers crossed. You look to your friends and your friends don't look back. You look to the system for justice, and the system uses you as a scapegoat. You're betrayed. Betrayal is more than rejection. Rejection opens the wound. Betrayal pours in the salt. It's more than loneliness. Loneliness leaves you in the cold. Betrayal closes the door. It's more than mockery. Mockery plunges the knife. Betrayal twists it. It's more than an insult. An insult attacks your pride. Betrayal, it breaks your heart. Betrayal ferments the venom of bitterness. Nine times out of ten, a bitter attitude in someone can be traced to feelings of rejection very frequently to betrayal. That's why the Bible warns us to see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The fear of rejection arises from a number of sources, but the taproot is our legitimate need to be connected with and valued by other people. But bitterness is a choice, and we can choose not to be bitter and avoid stage four, which is the most dangerous. Stage four is vengeance. Possible source of vengeance is your significant other making you watch Sharknado 3 <laughs> with them. No, again, that's not, I mean, again, that is it, but. Real possible source is feelings of rejection by God. The most damaging stage of rejection comes when we say, I'll get even, I'll make sure they get what they deserve. Now, we may not take an automatic weapon to work, though it seems plenty do these days. 
we'll just assassinate someone's character with the sharpest words we can pull out of our quiver. Jesus had numerous opportunities to seek vengeance. Perhaps nowhere more obvious than when he hung on the cross and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Talk about feeling of rejection. Still, he didn't seek vengeance. Jesus trusted then what we must ultimately trust now, and that is, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. This vengeance business, it's a dangerous one. And it'll suck us down into its dangerous vortex. So what are we going to do? We know that rejection is part of life. It can potentially lead us to a place of great harm. The fear of rejection places us in an airtight prison devoid of relationships that we we desperately want and need. So here's the payoff. The only power strong enough to break the force field of fear is the magnetic attraction of the God who created us. Theologians call this great doctrine justification which, like most theological terms, can be explained much more simply. You are accepted. We are accepted. Not on the basis of parentage, not on the basis of performance, not on the basis of pedigree. We're accepted by and through faith in that which Jesus has done for us. God rejected rejection. On the cross. That's why the consistent message in your Bible from start to finish is two simple words repeated over and over again in different contexts, in different periods of history, spoken by different people. Two words fear not. When I've accepted God's acceptance and rejected the rejection, then and only then can I work out and work through the other rejections that have happened in my life and that are yet to happen in my life because I know they're there and they're still coming. I can do that because I know three things. I know that Jesus has encountered every sort of rejection that I could ever encounter and I know that He understands. He knows what it's like to be tempted to wallow in self-pity. He knows what it's like to eat from the table of sour grapes. He knows what it's like to succumb to the pain of betrayal. He knows what it's like to be tempted to take vengeance into his own hands. He was tempted in every way as we were, but without sin. I also know that judgment comes in the end. Judgment is not absent. It's just not always immediate, and it's never, ever in my hands. Not my job. I also know forgiveness is possible. What else are you going to do? What kind of life are you going to live? One that constantly harbors anger? One that constantly has as its agenda to get even? With a purpose to measure out more pain so that more pain comes back to you? That doesn't sound so good to me. I think instead I'll remember just a few things 
Jesus understands. God will ultimately deliver justice. That's not my job. And maybe I'll reread Psalm 27. And I'll say out loud with David, The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord's the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You know, now that I think about it, I think think that's the key in facing down our fears. Wait for the Lord. Just four simple words, a lot easier to say than it is to do, isn't it? That's hard for me. Most times, I don't want to wait for the Lord. I want to run ahead. I want to grab control. I want to steer the car. I want to put my foot on the pedal. I want to be in control. Wait for the Lord. So when life seems absurd, what am I going to do? Wait for the Lord. When change is coming at me at a velocity and a pace that I can't begin to manage or understand, wait for the Lord. When you're cycling through the stages of rejection and it doesn't seem like the wheel's ever going to stop, what are you going to do? You're going to wait for the Lord. Name your fear. 50% of the problem lies in defining it. Face it so you can replace it. Take a step toward it. Fear is like a barking dog that runs when you take a step toward it. Make a plan. Take a risk. Faith without works is dead. And repeat as often as you need to, I am accepted by God. And I'm going to wait for the Lord. God says you can face down your fears. And if you can't trust your Heavenly Father, who can you trust?